I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we consider that passage that David just read for us. Uh, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 35. About this time last year, there was a program on Channel 4, a documentary on Channel 4 with the Labour MP David Lammy. The documentary was entitled Unremembered. Lammy went to a, a Commonwealth grave site in Africa, and the opening shot of the documentary was row upon row of pristine graves. It really brought home to you the, the, the scale of the sacrifice that was offered during the First World War. But as it turns out, as the, the program developed, it was discovered that these were only the graves of the British soldiers. These were the, only the graves of the white soldiers. The African soldiers were buried in unmarked graves with grass about knee-high that no one took care of. Despite paying the same price, despite offering their lives in defense of the Commonwealth, no one remembered them. No one marked their sacrifice. No one had constructed graves for them as they had for the British soldiers. No one remembered them. And as we come to Luke 23 this morning, as we come to this section in Luke's gospel, it's all about remembering, isn't it? We're going to think about three things and see three things from this section this morning. Firstly, we're going to think about how the, the, the religious leaders and the soldiers mock Jesus. They, they say almost, remember what Jesus said. Remember how he claimed to be the king. Remember how he claimed to be the Christ. Remember how he claimed to be the Messiah. But then secondly, we want to remember what kind of king Jesus is. That as he hangs there bleeding and dying, that criminal looks at him and sees him as the king of kings and lord of lords. And then thirdly, finally, we want to remember the savior that Jesus is. That he was the one who could save from sin. So firstly then, we want to think about how the religious leaders almost mockingly say, remember what Jesus said, remember what Jesus said. And we see that in verses 35 through 38. Now, we are very much breaking into the middle of this section in Luke's gospel. Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has been put on trial before Herod, before Pilate. He's been put on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He's been put on trial before Herod again. He's been sentenced to death and taken to the place of execution. And as we come, as we break in here in verse 35, Jesus is on the cross. And what are we told in verse 35? That the people stand by watching. Now this seems, how would you put it? It seems a little bit distasteful to us, doesn't it? But it was a form of almost entertainment for them in, in Jesus' times. They went to the games. They went to the executions. It was a spectacle. It was a thing to behold. It was a thing to witness, to watch. The people, it seems, are, are standing by quietly watching this man die. But the rulers are mocking and sneering. They're saying, look, remember what he said. Remember who he claimed to be. If you are the Christ, if you are the Son of God, then come down from the cross and save yourself. Remember the way that he forgave people of their sins. Remember the way that he healed the sick. Remember the way that he helped others. And now look at him. He can't even help himself. He can't do anything for himself. If he does that, if he comes down, then we'll believe him. If he can back up his claims, then we'll believe him. If he can save himself, then we'll put our trust in him. Of course, they miss the irony, don't they? That if he came down from the cross, he wouldn't be able to help them. 
There would be no way for them to be saved. There would be no way for them to be made right with God. They would stay dead in their sins and trespass. He had to stay there to offer the sacrifice to God. But they're prodding him, aren't they? They're poking him, provoking him. Come down. If you are who you say you are, if you are the Christ, if you are the Savior, come down and save yourself. What a reminder this is for us this morning, friends, of the love of Christ for his people. Let's just think about that for a moment. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is equal with God in power and glory, the one who created the universe, the one who set the stars in place. And here he is being taunted by those whom he created. Why did he do it? Why did he hang there and die? Why did he endure their insults? So that we might know God. So that our sin could be atoned for. So that the price for our sin could be paid. If the plan of salvation was to be accomplished, if God's plan of redemption was to be accomplished, then Christ had to die. The religious leaders have had their fun. If you're the Christ, come down. But then the soldiers, they get in on the act in verse 37. They, they, they bring him this wine, verse 36, this sour wine, and say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, that they're mocking him. They're almost giving him this fake homage giving him the sour wine, not the good wine, but the sour wine, almost mocking his claim to be the king of the Jews. If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. I once knew a, a girl who claimed that she could say all 32 counties on the island of Ireland in something like 10 seconds. Now, I was dubious about this claim. It seemed sort of unrealistic to me that she could do it. So I said, well, prove it, do it. And sure enough, she could. Now, my knowledge of the 32 counties in the island of Ireland is somewhat sketchy, but it sounded plausible. It sounded realistic. I invited her to back up her claim and she could do it. And that's what the soldiers are saying here. If, 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 if this is true, if you are the king of the Jews, then do something about it. They invite him to prove his claim by taking action. And the sign is written above his head, the charge, uh, any criminal who was to be crucified, the charge was always placed on a plaque above his head. What's the charge that's listed against Jesus? Verse 38, there's no ambiguity. There's no if. What's the charge that's listed against Jesus? This is the king of the Jews. The religious leaders don't get it. The soldiers don't get it. But the Roman machinery gets it. This is the king of the Jews. Dying to save the sins of his people. That's who Jesus is this morning. The king of the world sent to take away the sin of the world. If you don't know him like that, if you don't know him as your savior this morning, then you really, really need to. 
That's the first thing we're told to remember, the things that Jesus said. But then secondly, we want to remember the king that Jesus is, the king that Jesus is. And we see that in verses 39 through 43. The religious leaders have mocked Jesus. The soldiers have mocked Jesus. And now one of the criminals who's being crucified with him turns and begins to mock him as well. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged uh, reeled at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you're the Son of God, can't you do something about this? If you are the Son of God, can't you save yourself? And after you've done that, can't you save us? Can't you help us? Can't you do something about this? As most of you know, I worked in Sainsbury's for about a year as a checkout team leader. And I can remember one day, a customer came into the shop and demanded to see the store manager. Now, when people do that, usually something's gone badly wrong somewhere. And the store manager, Julie, came down. And this man was irate. He was beside himself with anger at the country of origin that our peppers came from. He said to the store manager, why are you buying peppers from this country? Don't you know all of the things that this country has done? Now, to be fair to the store manager, he kept his patience for longer than I would have. He tried to explain to the man, look, you know, these decisions are made in London. These decisions are way above my pay grade. But the man was saying to him, if you're in charge, why are you buying peppers from this country? And that's what the criminal says to Jesus here. If you are the Christ, if you are in charge round here, then save yourself and save us. Do something about this if you're in charge. But the other criminal turns in verse 40 and rebukes the first criminal saying, do you not fear God? You are under the same sentence of condemnation. Don't be so ridiculous. Don't be so silly. Don't you fear God? We're about to meet God here. We're about to die here. And here you are mocking this man. Here you are making fun of him. We're being crucified as well. We're no better. More than that, he says, actually, verse 41, look, we're suffering justly. We've done something wrong. And in order to be crucified by the Romans, generally you had to do something pretty serious. You were crucified for murder. You were crucified for insurrection. You were crucified for claiming to be any other king than Caesar. You know, you you weren't crucified for relatively minor things. So these guys who are hanged with Jesus, who are crucified with Jesus, they're, they're bad people. And he says, look, we're suffering because we've done wrong. We're suffering because we've committed the crime. We're suffering because we've broken the law. But this man... This man has done nothing wrong, verse 41. It's an incredible statement to make about a man being crucified. This man has done nothing wrong. But the dying thief gets it, doesn't he? You see, the dying thief sees who he is before God. He sees that he's one who's broken the law. He sees that he's one who deserves God's righteous judgment. He sees himself as one who deserves to be punished as we all do. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We all deserve God's punishment on our sin. But Jesus doesn't. As Robin reminded us at the start of the service, he had no sin of his own. He had done nothing wrong. He had committed no crime. 
And yet he was here paying the wages of sin. He was here dying so that people could come to know God. He wasn't dying for his own sin, but for ours. He wasn't dying for his own sin, but mine and yours this morning if we come and ask for forgiveness. And notice what he does in verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this is a thought that's been in my mind all week. It's a thought that I, I couldn't shake all week. We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is the King of Kings. We know that Jesus is the Lord of Lords. We know that Jesus will one day return in glory and take everyone who believes in him to be with himself. But think about the man on the cross. He turns and he sees Jesus. And what does he see? He sees a man bleeding and dying. He sees a man most probably naked. He sees a man bleeding from wounds received the night before. Now, if ever there was a man who didn't look like a king, it was the man on the cross next to him. If ever there was a man who didn't look like a man who had a kingdom, it was the man on the cross next to him. But the thief looks beyond what his eyes can see, and he sees Jesus for who he really is. The bleeding, dying man next to him is the king of kings. The bleeding, dying man next to him is the one who can save him from his sin. Perhaps he'd heard Jesus preach before. Perhaps he'd seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. We don't know. But something, something convinces that dying thief that Jesus is the one who can help him. He looks beyond what his eyes can see. He looks beyond the evidence that's in front of him and sees Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of history, the ruler whose kingdom will have no end. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall. Think about being a, a British soldier in 1940, faced with the seeming might of the German Nazi empire. I think it would be pretty hard to imagine a world without national socialism, and yet, by and large, here we are. Think of being an Iraqi and trying to convince yourself of a world without Saddam Hussein. And yet here we are. What might we say today? Imagine today trying to imagine a world without the coronavirus. And hopefully we'll get there. Earthly kingdoms, earthly empires rise and fall. But the kingdom that Jesus Christ ushers in, the kingdom of which Jesus Christ is king, has no end. It is an eternal kingdom, and he is the king that we all need to come to. He is the king that we all need to subject ourselves to. And Jesus responds to the man, what does he, what does he say? Verse 43, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief's circumstances don't change. He's about to die. But his eternal destiny changes. Today you will be with me in paradise. What words to hear. He can die in peace. Knowing that his eternal destiny is secure. That's the king that Jesus is. People may not see it. The world may not recognize it today. Just as many who saw him crucified didn't see him as king. 
But Jesus is king this morning. And his kingdom will last forever. The question for you is, are you part of that kingdom? Are you in that kingdom? Are you a subject of Christ by faith? Thirdly, finally then, we want to remind ourselves and remember the Savior that Jesus is. The Savior that Jesus is. And we see that in verse 47. What what are we told in verse 47? Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, This man was innocent. Here we have another account of the innocence of Jesus. Verse 47, the centurion who's standing by sees it. This man is innocent. The criminal who's hanged with him, this man has done nothing wrong. The religious leaders, the people who should have known the Christ, the people who should have been waiting for the Christ, say he's guilty. But the outsiders say, the sinners say, this man has done nothing wrong. Now think about that centurion. Here is a man who's used to death. Here is a man who's commanded Roman soldiers. Here is a man who's put many a person to death. And something about Jesus, something about the way that Jesus dies, convinces him this man was innocent. Other gospel writers, other gospel accounts for us include the reference that the centurion said this man was the son of God. In his death, Jesus is drawing people to himself. He draws the dying thief beside him to himself. He draws this Roman centurion to himself. In his death, Jesus is bringing people into paradise. But it isn't finished there, is it? Because read about the crowd. What are we told about the crowd? Verse 48, And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle... When they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. This crowd who came to see the execution, this crowd who came to see this man hanged and died, go home not rejoicing, go home not pumped up with adrenaline, but they go home beating their breasts saying, what has happened? What have we done? They go away in contrition sad and mournful because they know what has taken place. Because they see Jesus Christ as innocent. They knew that wrong had been done that day. And I dare say this prepared the ground for the day of Pentecost that was to come when many would come to know Christ as their Savior. What kind of Savior is Jesus? What kind of King is He? He's one who lays down his life for his people. One who in his death draws many unto salvation. One who came not to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. We've gathered today rightly, friends. We've gathered today rightly to give thanks and to remember all those who gave their lives so that we might be free who've paid the ultimate cost for our freedom. But as we do that, friends, let's not forget the one who gave his life so that we can be free from sin. The one who gave his life so that we can enjoy his kingdom forever. Let's not forget our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death in our place. 
We thank you, Father, that even through his death, even through his sacrifice, he was bringing many sons to glory. We thank you for that thief and that assurance that he had that although he attended no church, that although he was never baptized or received communion, yet he had that assurance of being in glory with Christ. As we gathered this morning, Father, we recognize that there are many within our fellowship who are hurting, who are suffering. I want to pray that you would comfort the, the, the family of those who have been bereaved recently. Pray that you give that peace that passes all understanding. May they know your presence with them in a, a real and tangible way. May they know the love of the fellowship coming uh, around them and supporting them at this difficult time. Remember those who are ill and in hospital or those who are recuperating at home. We pray, Father, that you would continue to keep your hand upon them, continue to give uh, doctors and nurses wisdom and insight and skill as they treat them. And we pray that they may be restored to us uh, in due time, we ask. Remember our nation before you as difficult decisions need to be made in the days ahead. May you give our leaders wisdom and insight. May you give them clarity of thought. May you help them to direct the best course for uh, us as a nation here in Northern Ireland and for the whole of the United Kingdom. May you give our MLAs and MPs wisdom in the days that lie ahead. May you be with our doctors and nurses and all of our healthcare professionals, keeping them safe uh, from this virus. May they be enabled to do the work that they have been called to do. And may you continue with us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.